You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look. Bleep you, this is, this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. That 3 and D roll. Oh, it's the T-League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. <laughs> Hello, everybody out there in Celtics Nation. Welcome back to the Banners Broadcast, the official podcast of Celtics Blog. It's a great, great time to be here. And we're going to get into a ton of topics today. The, the news just never, ever, ever stops pouring out in Celtics. It, and it's been the best time to be around the team in a long, long time, it seems like. We got the stories of the past team coming out this week. We're getting ready for opening night with this new team. So they're both going to smash into each other here on the 13th edition of the Banners Broadcast. Thanks, everybody, for being with us through the show so far. I'm Bobby Manning, and today we're going to get into Isaiah Thomas. We're going to get into the season, which starts Tuesday, believe it or not. This show is dropping on Friday, so we are just days away from Cleveland. We don't know if LeBron's playing. We don't know a lot about what the team's going to look like, even though we saw a 4-0 perfect preseason at this point. There's still so many questions to be answered, but I'm not going to answer them alone today. With us is one of the newest writers at Celtics Ball. You probably know him well at this point. Covered the Celtics in the past for WEI. He's with CLNS Media now from Foxborough covering the Patriots all the way up to Boston in the North End covering the Celtics. He has been working. He's been working hard, and he's with us tonight working again. Mike Petralia Trags is with us today. Welcome. Thanks, Bobby. <laughs> it's a labor of love. I can assure you that. Uh, I wouldn't do uh, what I do unless I loved it, and I'm very, very honored and privileged to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm honored and privileged to be joining you, Bobby. I'm looking forward to this. This is this is great. We got, we've we been trying to get everybody on Celtics Blog on. It's been great having you aboard so far, so let's waste no time and get into this Sports Illustrated sure. article. It was the perfect combination, Lee Jenkins, Isaiah Thomas, pretty much the perfect combination you can find right there, and I had everything from his his kids, their reaction to the trade, the move to Ohio, and uh, most juicy of all, I think, is the information about 
the injury, the process he went through, who we talked to about it. And uh, I think number one on my list, the most interesting things coming out of this one, was the fact that he leaned on Brian Kelly, a private doctor, through this, said he was the one who told him that he'd be fine to come back, just rest it, and uh, do not get surgery. And that pretty much ended up being the route he went this offseason. So there's so much to uncover about this. Uh, what was really your biggest takeaway from this well, I think there was a lot of regret, Bobby. I don't think there's any question that when you read that story um, by Lee Jenkins, you get the sense that there was regret in how Isaiah went about uh, addressing his injury and putting his career, I think essentially is the gist you get from him, his career online for a team that had the chance to go to the NBA Finals. And obviously part of his dream was to go to the NBA Finals with the Celtics, win it in Boston. But the other thing that clearly jumps out is that, you know, a day after his sister passed away, he was putting his his career on the line. He was putting himself out on the court uh, because he wanted to do this for the city of Boston. He obviously knew that he had a family tragedy to deal with, but he really thought that by showing the loyalty and the service to the Celtics, they would repay him in kind. And that is really, to me, at the heart of the betrayal that Isaiah Thomas feels. And I got to tell you, Uh, In Danny Ainge's comments uh, on Thursday, he essentially acknowledges that if I were Isaiah, I could understand feeling that way as well. But certainly from our point of view, uh, and he said this Wednesday, actually, he said, look, I think you all, meaning the media reporters around Danny, know how I feel about uh, Isaiah and you know how much we loved Isaiah. So, you know, I think that's where uh, that dynamic stands at this point. Will it move off that center point uh, in the next couple of weeks as the season begins? I don't think so. I think, you know, there's a lot of hurt, a lot of betrayal that Isaiah feels towards the way the Celtics handled him, not necessarily the city of Boston, but the way the Celtics handled him. And that's going to take a while to heal. He explained everything really well in there, and he's been talking about it for a few months now, the feelings he went through, through this trade, and uh, just how, yeah, but like you said, betrayed he felt, and it's really hard not to feel those same feelings reading that as well, and it's it's interesting because we Celtics have moved on, a lot of Celtics fans have moved on, it feels like, and the big theme of this article is that ensuing revenge, you know, not against the city of Boston inherently, but against anyone who doubted Isaiah again. He's getting ready for that next round, whether it was Sacramento, Phoenix. He's made all these teams pay for giving up on him. And he says it right out there. He thinks the Celtics made a mistake. He thinks they made the wrong move. And, you know, we can kind of go back and forth on that. I at first thought it was a mistake. Now with the injury things that have followed up, I feel much better about it, especially with what they got back in return. You couldn't ask for much better than that. But right. He says they lost their heart and soul, and Jalen Brown has talked about this, how they're a completely new team. The chemistry that they're going to have to develop has been widely publicized, and he might have a point there. I mean, they lost the core of this team. Well, look, Terry Rozier admitted, right, about a week or so ago, admitted early in training camp, we expect some rocky road Uh, early in the season and we expect there to be uh, a transition period for us to adapt 
to each other and really get a sense of where the true leadership uh, in this new um, locker room is. Now, I maintain that the real leader of that uh, locker room and, the, uh, and that dressing room is Marcus Smart. Was last year, will be again this year. He is the, the number one spokesman in that room. But I think Jalen Brown's going to take a huge step uh, in that regard in terms of being a leader in only his second year in the NBA. I think we're going to see a lot in Jalen Brown that we saw of Marcus Smart in terms of taking leadership. But from what I see on the court, I don't know if there's going to be much struggle uh, yeah. whatsoever. If Kyrie Irving, <laughs> you know, Bobby, if Kyrie Irving stays healthy and what we're seeing in terms of their switching off ball screens and um, how Brad Stevens is going to want them to play defense and whatnot and, and their adjustments to other teams, the way they're defending Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, what I see early in, in um, the preseason anyway, uh, suggests to me that they're going to make this transition pretty fast and they're going to be pretty darn good. And I, I didn't have this down in my notes, but it's interesting. I asked this to Nick the other night, Nick Jelso, uh, CLNS head founder, and um, he, he had my a pretty boss. interesting, yeah, all of our boss, <laughs> <laughs> the guy who's watching over us somewhere. Um, he, he pretty much talked about that really this intensity in the locker room this year, being a much different mood than there was last year. Uh, you've been there for two games down right. the preseason. What do you think of the atmosphere in that locker room now? I think uh, it's going to be more businesslike with Kyrie. Uh, I think there's less drama. I think Kyrie comes off to me as somebody who's going to go out of his way to be mellow. And... You know, what you saw with Isaiah Thomas, he would literally put his heart on his sleeve, right? After every single game, you would he would tell you how he felt if the team played like crap. The team played like crap, Isaiah would be pissed off in those post-game press conferences. I don't think that's going to be the same with Kyrie Irving. I think he's going to be much more corporate, if you will. Uh, he's going to be much more measured in what he says. Um, you know, we can already get a gist of what Kyrie's going to be like when he was asked the obvious question, you know, less than a week away from playing in Cleveland and going back to play against your former team, what's that going to be like? And he said, it's just basketball. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, going to be the MO for Kyrie Irving all season long. He's going to try to, uh, you know, take the drama out of things and disarm things, if you will, so they don't become bigger than life. Because he knows after playing the last, five years with uh, LeBron, uh, it's all been about drama in Cleveland. And for the most most part of it, uh, it's been good drama and exciting drama, but it's been all about drama. And I think Kyrie, part of him moving on to the Celtics uh, is about trying to turn over a, a, you know, a new leaf and try a new approach uh, when it comes to the locker room and the way he carries himself around the team. That's very interesting, and he has definitely tried his best to completely mellow that LeBron-Kyrie storyline. Haven't heard a, heard a little bit more out of LeBron about the whole situation than we have out of Kyrie, but uh, they've tried to keep that mellow right now, at least in the preseason. It's going to be something people talk about all season long, probably one of the more dominant storylines in the NBA next year. I mean, on this side, we got the whole Isaiah fallout. On that side, it's going to continue to be the Kyrie fallout, and how... Things went bad there with him on that end. Right now, it doesn't feel like there's going to be a lot of you know squandering between those two sides. But as the season develops, these are two teams that are going to be going head-to-head -head in the conference. Once the playoffs get here, 
It's probably going to be a different level of intensity. Do you think it's going to change at all? Are they just going to continue to shoot this down all season? I think they're going to continue to shoot it down all season. And, you know, barring something we don't see coming down the pike, uh, both of these teams are playoff caliber, uh, elite playoff caliber teams. And, you know, most people have uh, the Celtics and Cavaliers penciled in in the Eastern Conference Finals again uh, in uh, the spring. And I would I would expect that's where uh, we're headed as well, as long as LeBron stays healthy. Um, but I think the Celtics are going to be a more dynamic team uh, than even the Cavaliers. Uh, I didn't think so. When that trade was first made, Bobby, I got to tell you that I thought the Celtics uh, depth would be a really big issue. But after watching Terry Rozier uh, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, those three in the preseason, I grant you it's only preseason. My feelings in that regard have changed drastically. I think the Celtics are going to be as deep as the Cavaliers, and I think they are the two deepest teams, obviously, in the Eastern Conference. That's a great transition because I was just going to ask you about Terry Roger. He had a Love remarkable, him. remarkable preseason. He got his shooting percentage up to 45, which is very strong for him. A second highest scorer on the team in the preseason behind Irving, who was just hitting every three it took. he took, it felt like. Biggest differences I noticed with Roger: more in control, finishing around the rim when he gets there, more poise in his dribbling. Like all the holes that kind of scattered throughout his game in the past few years seem to be a at least a little more filled up and like you said it's preseason we saw him tear the summer league to shreds last year and then struggle uh. in the season but uh, has he turned over a new page you feel like just from watching him uh, a little bit. I think Terry Rozier feels more comfortable with the ball in his hand. Uh, this is as comfortable as I think and confident as we've seen him look uh, in a Celtics uniform. The difference, Bobby, is going to be how he does with regard to his court vision when he drives to the basket. Because in talking to a couple of NBA scouts, what they say about Terry Rozier is the court becomes very narrow to him when he starts getting closer and closer to the basket. And yes. that's not good. You need... Uh, he needs to be able, when he drives, to be able to kick off to somebody, you know, in the wing or off to the corner uh, for an open baseline three. And uh, and I think it, the more he becomes comfortable and the more he works on that aspect of the game, the it, even more dangerous he's going to be. Uh, I think he's a very good um guard, a point guard coming off the Celtics bench, uh, and he's the fastest guard that they have. I think he's the quickest guard. He's quicker than Kyrie, I think. Uh, he's more explosive uh, than Kyrie, but in terms of the way he sees the court and distributes, that's the thing he's got to work on the most. Yeah, and luckily Smart's there to help him with that. We know that's become really Smart's expertise off the bench is that vision, his passing. And uh, there's been a lot of interesting stories around Smart. We're going to get into quite a few of them right here. The contracts Contract. out there. Yeah, we're going right. to talk contract just a little bit. But first I want to ask, that three-pointer, it's been a story every single week he's worn a Celtics uniform, but this is... This is the first time I've noticed a discernible difference. Uh, it's been, uh, he's only got about 20 attempts through the preseason, but they were square. Nice follow-through. They went in, for the most part, 58%. Is that, uh, I'm not going to say solved, but at least a little more consistent at this point? Here's what I think about Marcus Smart in a three-pointer. I think the weight loss that everybody talked about, um, you know, slim, slim Marcus. Skinny Marcus. Uh, <laughs> uh, skinny Marcus, yes. Skinny Marcus. Um, We've been fighting but I over see that one. In Skinny Marcus is the 25 pounds is going to help him later in games and later in the season. 
into the postseason. That's why I think he did it, because I think he felt that in the, late in the season last year, he started to wear down and he didn't have the lift on his jump shot. That's what I think he's worked on the most. And I think you're going to see when you when you watch Marcus, watch how much more arc and lift there is to his jumper. Yes. It, it's significantly different than it was last year. And I think that is something that if it stays throughout the course of the season, he's going to have a better jumper. He's going to have fresher legs. And I think that's going to be the difference between the Marcus Smart three-point shot of last year and what he's going to try to do this year because they're going to need him to do that. If they put, let's say, Terry Rozier in at the point guard and he's handling most of the offense, they need somebody like a Marcus Smart off on the you know perimeter uh, with a confident shot to be able to knock those down. Yeah, especially to finish those games because you know he is going to be finishing those games. I'm glad they settled out the whole thing about him versus Brown in the preseason too. Like you said, professionally just went in there with Steven, said put me on the bench, and that's that. Like It really just didn't turn into a controversy at all. He's happy with that bench role, it feels like, and he's strong there. He's a strong presence on that bench. He helped solidify them last year, pushed them above other benches they played in the playoffs. So I'm very happy about that. You said... He's kind of become the face, leader. This, the leader of this team. Good. Thanks for filling your own words. The extension yep. is sitting there. The, we're four days away, three days when this is going to drop. Maybe it'll drop right in the middle of when we actually end up releasing this. But it's, it's in the air. He says that he hasn't heard anything from the Celtics. I kind of understand why they're hesitant to do it right now because of the upcoming market next summer. But if he is kind of stepping up as the leader of this team right now, and they want to bring him back, don't you think they could kind of come to something in these next few days just to make both sides happy? I don't know. I mean, Danny has tried to, you know, coax it uh, the best way he can and and uh, coach his phrasing of how he's talking with Marcus and his representatives. Um, cautiously optimistic is probably the best way to put it. I think they would like to have Marcus back at the right numbers. Um, I don't think there's any question. They love his influence around the team. They love how he has matured. Um, if you're going to ask me yes or no, does a Marcus smart contract extension get done uh, before the October 16th situation? Um, I would say, yeah, it does. I, I think they're going to be able to get it done. Uh, and I say that because I think Danny realizes Marcus with some type of security behind him would be a much more focused player yes. than Marcus with that hanging over his head. And I think they need Marcus of us focused Marcus smart uh, and not a necessarily a motivated Marcus smart, because we already know the guy plays really hard and I don't think him getting paid is going to change that. Yeah, and it, like we said, not perfectly comparable situations, but once Isaiah got into that year where next season it was going to be the contract year, it just became a constant discussion. Right. And I know every single month from here on out it'd be Smart's contract, what he's really pushed his value to at this point. And what's interesting about him as well is the fact that he's going to be a restricted free agent. And those situations have gotten messy throughout the years. Like it seems like they're going to be able to get into the summer come to terms with him, match an offer sheet if that ends up happening. But you never know. I mean, Nerland's Noel just got caught in free agency for the length of the summer. 
due to complications in that when it looked like it was a sure thing. He just re-upped right away. Hayward talked about how messy his situation with Utah got. Those those restricted free agent uh, stints never seem to come out clean. So I think that's a consideration they got to take into account as well. I really do. And I think, Bobby, that... You know, they know Marcus Smart's personality better than we do, right? I mean, they have seen him on the inside. They've seen him in practice situations. Brad Stevens knows him really well. Danny knows him really well. And I got to think that they would love to have Marcus settled down, not having a contract situation hanging over his head. Um, That, to me, is probably what factors in more than anything else. And I would assume, okay, Based on the qualities he brings to the team, he is a core piece of their future moving forward. I, I, along with Kyrie Irving, along with Gordon Hayward, I would put Marcus Smart right there. Let's, you know, Al Horford's 30, and he's no spring chicken. He's still a, you know, an all-star caliber player. But you do also have to look at the core of this uh, team moving forward. And you obviously have Jalen Brown. You have Jason Tatum. Right. Uh, You're still going to have a high draft pick in the next couple of years uh, coming to you. But Marcus Smart is smack dab in the middle of that. And I would think that the Celtics would love to hold on to him and Terry Rozier and then obviously Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. That's quite quite the core if you can pull it off. Yeah. And Kevin O'Connor always says this, says this, and it's a great point. When you're extending a player, you're projecting toward future production rather than looking at what they've already done. And Correct. I think, I think people get caught up in what Smart's already done when they look at a situation like this. So that's something to factor in there as well. Let me take a quick break to let everybody know. The Banners broadcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere now. So please head over there and subscribe if you're loving the show so far. If you're loving Celtics blog, this is the podcast. you got to tune in to hear the writers speak every week over here. So please do that for us. I'm over on Twitter at RealBobManning talking with Mike Petrelia. He's on Twitter at Tregs. You know, Mike, it's funny. I was over at the newspaper here up in Syracuse a couple weeks ago and... We just finished our podcast over there, and I'm like, oh, I don't know who's going to fill this 15th spot for the Celtics. And they're like, yeah. you guys just got Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, and you're worried about the 15th spot? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's just been weighing on my mind. And it's still empty. They just cut off all the uh, undrafted rookies who are on right. the roster. That spot's still open with Tuesday looming. I know a lot of other free agents are probably going to get cast off from their teams, so they're probably going to take a look at that. But Danny said a couple of weeks ago they were going to look at their internal options. They really didn't even play any of those guys. So it's it's been interesting. I know the 15th spot doesn't matter that much, but uh, Aaron Baines did just get hurt. They have a lack of height on the roster, so it does feel like that could be a spot. That it could be might provide some depth for them. Yeah, uh, it could, but I just get the sense, Bobby, that size isn't a priority to them. It's almost like when Aaron Baines got hurt uh, the other night against the Seventy Sixers, they didn't blink. Yeah. They were like, "Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but we've got plenty of other answers uh, in the way we play uh, to you know accommodate and." Uh, make sure that it doesn't wind, you know, the lack of size doesn't wind up killing us. Uh, Right now they have Daniel Tice and they have uh, Marcus Morris and clue me in who else? I mean, Al Horford, but he's still not 
the prototypical big man yeah. that that you would like to see taking up space, rebounding. Aaron Baines has lost. I think if he's out an extended period of time with this hyperextended left knee, I think that's a big issue. And to your point, maybe they do, um, you know, scour the waiver wires and whatnot uh, before opening night to try and find somebody who they might slot in there. Uh, but it sure seems like to me uh, that Brad Stevens loves his versatile wings, and it's he's going to you know error on the side of having an extra wing instead of an extra big. It's, I, I found it interesting that they never brought back Gerald Green. I know that's a moot point, and he ended up in Milwaukee and stuff like that, but we've talked so much about the uh, the – difference between last year's team and this year's team. Green Uh was a nice veteran piece, and he didn't play that much during the regular season when they called on him. He was able to give them a few minutes, but just him being there felt like a good thing for the team. So I was surprised he didn't end up back. Well, I I think with Gerald, it's probably some... some has something to do, perhaps, with defensive liability. And he is not... He doesn't play the kind of defense that I think Brad Stevens is going to require a lot of his swings and his guards, his ball handlers to play. And, you know, certainly Gerald Green is capable of, you know, instant offense. And that's why they initially brought him in. Uh, But that's not what, uh, you know, playing defense is not really his strength. And I think that's, you know, where that was headed and why he's not back with the Celtics. Speaking of defense, I'm not sure if you heard this comment. You might have actually heard it. Brad Stevens was talking about Jason Tatum the other day and said he was ahead of his years defensively, which I yep. which blew my mind because I've been high on Jason Tatum. I've been tracking him since Duke, and defense was never something that stuck out to me about him. But here comes Brad Stevens showering that praise on him. What do you think of those comments? Well, so I was there before the game on uh, Monday night against Philadelphia, and I asked uh, Stevens about if he saw some of these characteristics at Duke, and his answer was very interesting. What he said about uh, Jason Tatum, Bobby, was that I really paid only really close attention on the offensive side of the ball, and I kind of leaned on uh, Austin and obviously uh, Danny to watch Jason Tatum on the defensive side of the ball, and I could tell one thing, no matter what, he has the length to play great defense. So Brad Stevens point is he has the tools and he is learning to use them as quickly as quickly as he's ever seen a rookie um you know really get used to and familiar with the nba style of defense and that is to use one's length and i think uh jason tatum for that reason that's why the celtics have a lot of confidence in his ability to adapt to the way uh the celtics are going to expect him to play defense Well, Tuesday's opening night. This is going to be our last podcast before that. And so a couple questions going into there. LeBron James, obviously his status is completely up in the air going into that. I'm sure they'll probably err on the side of caution and just try to keep him as healthy as they can going into that. It's going to be tempting, though, opening night with all the stuff that's in there. We'll see what happens on that front. But from the Celtics' perspective, I know Aaron Baines' status is up in the air, but if he's available for them... What's the starting five you would put out there to start that game? I know Morris might still not be back in game shape yet, so it's yeah, I to think, change. But I don't think Marcus Morris is going to see the starting lineup out of the shoot. I don't think he is at a, all ready for those type 
of starting minutes. So um, it depends on if if Brad wants to go big or small, but certainly you can obviously pencil in the big three uh, plus Jalen Brown, I think. So you would go uh, with Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and then for the fifth, if it's not Aaron Baines, um, and I don't, they're not going to throw a rookie like Jason Tatum in there into the starting lineup right out of the shoot. Um, I probably would think that uh, that's a that's a great question. They'd probably uh, be very tempted uh, to go with. They might even go with three guards. They might go with somebody like a Terry Rozier and move Gordon Hayward down um, as more of a swing. You're really not and, giving Tatum a chance, huh? <laughs> no, not as a start. No, I'm not because I don't think Danny. Uh, I don't think Danny, and I don't think Brad wants to throw Jason Tatum right into the Wolves starting in Cleveland on opening night. I think that's a bit much to expect for a guy that's still working on his jump shot. Now he has a great jump shot in traffic, and we've heard. You know how ahead of the, how much older than his real years he is yeah. in terms of his NBA his offensive game uh, for the NBA. Uh, but you know if you've taken a look at his jumper, he struggled a little bit. He's gone two for six in one game, two for eight in another game. Uh, he, I don't think you want to throw that kind of pressure onto a rookie making his NBA debut on the road against the defending Eastern Conference champion. So. Um, It'll be fascinating to see which way they actually want to go if they don't have Aaron Baines. I Do you have thoughts? Yeah, um, I would probably go with Baines, no doubt, if he's ready to go. I know they're kind of taking it day-to-day on that oh, front. Baines is the guy if, he, yeah, if no he's doubt. ready to go, if but he's, if he's not. If he's not, I tend to agree with you on the Tatum front. Daniel Tice might be an intriguing Choice yeah. there because he he really shined in the preseason on both ends. I loved his footwork on both ends of the floor. Good energy right out of the shoot. I feel like that's what they look for at that five position to begin a game. And he doesn't have to play all that much. Seven minutes, rotate in the small ball, and they'll be good from there. As we know, it's not about how they start the game. It's about how they finish. But it is still sure. an interesting conversation to have. That, that's, that starting lineup's going to change a lot throughout the year. I well, that's like. the, I'm glad you brought that up, Bobby, because the one thing he also said on uh, Monday was uh, before the uh, uh, preseason game against Philadelphia is we talk so much about having a versatile lineup uh, come playoff times that uh, I think it would be smarter to err on the side of being flexible than not being flexible, you know, and, and, and worrying about a set lineup. So if you're looking at Brad Stevens and you're expecting a set lineup for all 82 games or for 70 of the 82 games, um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to see a lot of changes throughout the course of the season in the starting lineup based on matchups. When that trade first went down, it felt like opening night was just going to be a volcano of emotion and just intensity. Now Isaiah Thomas is out. LeBron James might be out. Celtics, their roster is kind of up in the air at this point. So it just feels like that's getting pushed back to January. I think that first Boston game, Cleveland-Boston's in January, that's going to be the real one to watch this year. Maybe the game of the year, but... Opening night will be interesting nonetheless. Thanks for breaking down all the quotes for us, Treggs. It was awesome to talk with you for the first time here. I think we got a lot of insight from you. Bobby, anytime you want to talk Celtics, I'm here for you.
No doubt. That's Treggs, Mike Petrelia, Bobby Manning. We're out. We'll see you next week once we get a couple of regular season Celtics games in the books. We got A. Sherrod Blakely next week. So we're going to be excited to talk to him, the Syracuse connection right there. So thanks, Treggs. We'll talk to you again soon. You can read him on Celtics Blog now, CelticsBlog.com. Good to have him over there. Good night, everybody. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look.